All right, you got everybody rounded up. Good morning. As I mentioned earlier, we're about a, a quarter of our way through our study on uh, the roles of uh, women. Uh, we remember we started our first one was Where Are We Now? And then uh, last week, uh, Mitch uh, taught on privilege or silence, women's, uh, women in the churches of Christ uh, from 1897 to 1907, to kind of uh, that it's not a new conversation. Uh, this week, or today, we're going to talk about uh, the lesson three. This is hermeneutical and interpretive perspectives. I didn't make a handout, didn't print one out on on list of what we're going to study or a little test that I normally do. But uh, this is something uh, before we dive deeper, and as we get deeper into the study, this is a good exercise on anal- uh, analyzing the scriptures and the, and the context of where they come from. So this is kind of a, a good, kind of going back to an introduction again to the roles of women. Uh, before we get started, uh, and of course we want to have prayer, uh, is there any prayer request or prayer of thanksgiving we need to, uh, to bring to God this morning? I'm thinking of Lou Ford and, uh, and her husband this morning. Uh, they've both been ill, and uh, I noticed that she's, Lou Ford is not here today, so we need to remember Lou and her husband. Uh, I checked my rain gauge before I left the house. We had three inches in our gauge since uh, 3 o'clock this morning is when it all started. So I'm thinking of uh, the Fords and rain. What, what else do you all have? have anything you need to need us to pray about okay let's let's go to our heavenly father in prayer Uh, dear lord thank you for this time Uh, thank you for this beautiful uh morning and we uh are so grateful for the cool weather and we're grateful for the wet weather that you've blessed our country with and uh father we ask that our lakes uh to rain on the watershed, that our lakes will receive rain. And, uh, Father, we have a special prayer for those that are not with us today. I notice uh, it's our sister Shirley and uh, the Fords. Uh, be with them as they struggle with health issues and watch over them as they travel and keep them safe and bring them back to where we can all worship together again. Thank you for your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Is everybody still hearing echo, uh, or is, how's everybody hearing this morning? Better? Okay. All right. Well, I mentioned earlier, this is a, kind of a partnership in Christ, men and women in Scripture, and this is Lesson 3, Hermeneutical and Interpretive Perspectives. And uh, we've got to know about our guidelines. We've been through that, and... Uh, Objective to this morning is to kind of uh, to provide a framework for understanding uh, ourselves and others when conversing with other people, other people, and communicating benefits and practices in regards to women's roles in this worship assembly and uh, church leadership. I like what uh, Raoul uh, Deterin said. Uh, it's a theo- he's a minister of theology from Andrews University, and I like what he says uh, to kind of get this study started this quote he says God has spoken but what has he said every utterance every written document demands interpretation and the need increases in proportion to the distance the text stands in time 
and culture from our own. Uh, one of the things here, we don't have a whole lot of study questions here, so therefore I didn't give everybody a test today. And I like this. It says, when it comes to making claims of what the Bible means, sometimes we hear comments from Christians or even non-Christians alike. And uh, some of you might have heard some of the following uh, comments. Well, when you're talking about how to something uh, in the Bible, it says, well, that's just your interpretation. Or, well, the Bible can... The Bible can be made to say anything you want it to say. Or, you can't really understand the Bible. It's, it's so full of contradictions. Or, somebody might, you might have heard, no one can understand the true meaning of, anyone, of anything anyone says. And kind of these are, are types of comments that relate to hermeneutical or principles of biblical uh, interpretation. And I like this comment. It's... Uh, part of the study guide. It says the Bible is both a human book and a divine book. There are certain implications of this uh, for biblical interpretation. The first is that human authors had a specific historical audience. We're not the first audience. They had a specific historical audience. Context and purpose. These authors used their own language and the authors of the Bible had their own writing methods. They had their own style of writing and a literary form of writing. The divine authorship of the Bible gives, it, gives its unity, and the ultimate source of all interpretation is, of course, uh, from God. So let's get started with the uh, basic question, what does a text mean? When we were studying uh, some of these scriptures, it, it asks, so, well, one basically, what does a text mean? The answer to this is the, the answer to this question is that a text means exactly, exactly what the author intended to mean. If there is only one thing you learn from this lesson, from this lesson, this is it. For a simple example, if you wrote a letter, if you wrote a personal letter to someone, or you wrote a book as Carol has done, and I've read Carol's book, and uh, there's a statement in it. For a simple example, if you wrote a letter or a book with some statements in it that might be a little ambiguous, then what does the letter, then then what does that letter mean? Well, it means exactly what you wanted it to mean and where you were at that time. It's exactly what you want it to mean. And uh, does it mean that, does it mean what you intended to mean or how readers interpret it? Of course, it means what you intended it to mean. And so what's good about the study that we're doing today is kind of a reintroduction to help us uh, understand these scriptures. And there's some principles here that uh, some Greek scholars kind of give us some guides to go by. There's different principles, and these are general principles of biblical interpretation. Uh, there's two Greek scholars, uh, members of the Church of Christ, a Dr. Ferguson, uh, kind of it takes more of a traditional approach. And a Dr. Carol Osborne takes more of a progressive approach approach. And so here's, here's principle one. Interpretation must be based on the author's intention of meeting and not the reader's. That kind of goes back to what we just talked. The, it means what the person intended to mean. This means that we get into the author's context. We get into it historically, grammatically, culturally, and uh, literally. 
that the author was working on. To be, able to, to be able to do this, some good Bible study tools are needed, such as we could use commentaries or written papers or classes given by reputable and studied biblical scholars, not only, in the, not only in the field of theology, but also in the fields of history, archaeology, linguistics, and anthropology. As we look at that contentious, uh, contentious passages, we'll be considering the writings of uh, these two men. So it kind of, uh, to kind of recap that, we, we kind of look uh, at all these different things. We examine them through the eyes of uh, literary and, and anthropology and linguistics and, and so on. Principle two, interpretations must be done in the context of the passage. And uh, I like this. It says, uh, what does the following mean? If I was to say, quote, well, it was a ball. That's all I said, and that's all you knew. I just said, well, it was a ball. Well, the answer, once again, depends on the context, considering the following sentences. The baseball umpire saw the pitch draft to the outside and said, it was a ball. So we know what reference he was coming from. Or we went to a dance last night, and in fact, it was so formal that it was, it was a ball. As I was walking along the golf course, here's another one. As I was walking along the golf course, I spotted something small and white in the tall grass. It was a ball. I had so much fun at the game last night. We had a ball, or I had a ball. In each case, the word ball means something different. Therefore, context determines meaning. So we have to look for that principle. And this is, this is one uh, that I really related to. Principle three, interpret the Bible literally or normally, allowing for normal use of favorative language, which basically what that means, if uh, you're reading Isaiah, uh, and Isaiah 55:12, and it says the trees of the field will clap their hands. Well, we know that trees do not have hands, and uh, they don't clap. So we know that's a figurative speech. And when words uh, like are used, such as like or as, uh, we know that those communicate a figure of speech. And that gives uh, color uh, to our writing. There is an important part of the normal expression of language. Principle four, well, we can use the Bible. We can use the Bible uh, to interpret it, to help uh, interpret itself. Interpret, we can interpret deeper, different, difficult passages with clear ones. This is sometimes called the law of non-contradiction uh, because the Bible is God's word and God is true. The Bible will not contradict itself. Also, we can use the New Testament to help understand, interpret the Old Testament. This recognizes the progressive nature <clears throat> Uh, that is, the Bible given more uh, revelation to topics over time, but, mon- but one must start by interpreting the Old Testament text in its context before a New Testament consideration is made. Here's another principle that will help us. Interpretation must be distinguished from application. While there is one interpretation that is historical, there are many applications that could be carried over to a modern context. Uh, and so you kind of build what they call a uh, application bridge from one interpretation to the next. For example, uh, in John 12, uh, we read of Mary anoints Jesus' uh, feet with very expensive oil. 
Well, the historical context records that's a historical event that actually occurred. Their interpretation relates only to what Mary did to Jesus. But what about, what about today? How does that affect us today? Well, an application of today in the 21st century might be made that we're willing to give sacrificially to the Lord's work and uh, give Jesus acts of worship just as Mary did. And the last principle, uh, be sensitive to the type of literature you're in. The Bible contains so many different forms of literature. We have law, we have narrative, we have wisdom, we have poetry, there's gospel, there's parables, there is epistles, epistles and apocalyptic. Each of these uh, have uh, specific features that we have to consider uh, when we're interpreting a specific text. <clears throat> Talking about uh, descriptive and prescriptive passages. The writers of the Bible wrote for specific purposes to specific audiences at that time. When you're reading or studying any passage of Scripture, it's important to ask who the author is and what he is trying to say to his offense. For once, uh, as we read over there, we're not the original audience. We are not the original audience of the Scripture. And the authors of the Bible, they, write to, they wrote to inform, to correct, to challenge, and to teach and explain things to the people in their time period, in that time period. Our goal, is to, our goal in this study, and every study we do, is to, discover their, is to understand and discover their original message. Once we understand what a text means in its original audience, then we can bridge this historical, cultural gap and apply that meaning to our own time and to our own culture. We're separated by thousands of years. Uh, they had different languages, and they had different practices than what we have now. <clears throat> we, and we miss the point if we skip over the original audience. We always, in interpretation, we have to keep in mind the, the original offerings, who they were, what they did, and then try to frame the text in our own culture. Each each passage of Scripture has one meaning. Sometimes an author will use words and phrases that have double meanings, but this too should fit into the cultural context. As I mentioned, the, the Bible is full of different types of literature, poetry, biography, prophecy, narrative. We have discourse. We have letters and proverbs, just to name a few more. We'll get into these later. Uh, when we talk about descriptive texts, those are that simply describe what is happening without giving it a command or instructing us how to behave. Uh, when we talk about descriptive texts, that's uh, the book of uh, Exodus is an example that is mostly descriptive. It talks about the Israelites in slavery and in Egypt and how God rescues them out of Pharaoh's hands and brings them to Mount Sinai. Prescriptive texts, on the other hand, they're instructive. These are commands either of what to do or what not to do. In Exodus, we have the Ten Commandments. These fall in the prescriptive category because they prescribe certain behaviors. It is important not to get these two confused. Just because something is descriptive does not make it prescriptive. And, you know, there are many things in the Bible... There are many things that people do or did in the Bible that we should not do. It seems obvious that statements that simply describe what is going on are not the same as commands, but there could be some confusion. 
This confusion comes when we bring in the idea of modeling, modeling, or examples. There are many things in the Bible. There are many people in the Bible that did some great things, and we want to emulate them. The question is: Is how far do we take that? Uh, should we make reva- uh, rash vows like uh, Jephthah? Uh, Jephthah's story is described in Judges. Uh, he, uh, his father was Gilead. Uh, there was a poss- what is talked about there is a possible sacrifice of uh, his daughter due to an rash due to a rash vow that he made. So we may not want to emulate, uh, even though he was a very good person and uh, fought a lot of battles for the Lord. We may not want to emulate him when it comes to making rash statements or rash vows, <clears throat> or or to sacrifice our children to prove our faith in God, like uh, Abraham. Uh, did in uh, Genesis. Uh, obviously, we, we don't want to emulate some of that behavior. So, you know, examples for discussion. Uh, does na- from Corinthians, says, it says, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, is it a, dis- is it a disgrace for him? From 1 Corinthians 1. Now, is this passage, is this descriptive, or is this prescriptive? Which one is that? Well, if prescriptive, that means it is morally long for a man to grow long hair. But if it's simply descriptive, is the rest of 1 Corinthians 1, 11, where Paul, te- uh, where Paul teaches on the Lord's Supper? Here, are, here we are back to sections on godly worship in the same chapter. So, this is, so is this passage descriptive in, or prescriptive in uh, Corinthians? And what can you think of other passages uh, of the Bible we may struggle to decide if they are descriptive or prescriptive? It gets kind of complicated, and that's kind of a tongue twister, just me talking about that. Let's say, talking about labels and perspective. Let's talk about labels and perspective. Uh, we could talk about it from back then, but let's, let's talk about right now, today, about the uh, the limitations that we that we place on ourselves and others when we uh, talk about labeling someone or labeling a group, and uh, let's uh, since we're in election year and there's so much talk in politics, we won't go deep into that. Let's talk about uh, conservatives or liberals. Now, if we were to say, well, everybody that is conservative, we want you to. Well, no, we'll just do liberal because I'm going to do left. Say everybody that was liberal in this group, well, we'll have them all move over to the left. And everybody that's conservative stay here. And let's say we split this group, say, in a half. And we apply this label of conservative and this group over here as liberals. Suppose we designate half of the room and uh, it's liberal. And you know what's interesting about liberal? I'm leaning more conservative, but I, there are some liberal leanings that I have. But you know, if you look out the look up the definition of liberal, it's uh, probably not as negative uh, as what a lot of people think. If you look up liberal, it says open to new behavior or opinions uh, concerning with broadens a person's uh, general knowledge or experience. That doesn't sound too negative uh, when you read the uh, Webster's Dictionary defining of liberal. But let's say we had this group divided, we have conservatives here and liberals here. 
And then we instructed the people to move, the, the, the best, to describe them. Well, let's say, suppose we do that with a large number of issues. Let's say we, and once we get you divided, well, I bring up an issue on, that is uh, biblical or political. Supposedly that do that with a large number of issues. If, we, if I started naming a large bunch of issues, would we have people from this camp move over to this camp? Or would we have, if I started naming off one issue after another, politics, uh, environment, uh, term limits, different things, would we have people move from one group to another one? Would we have this group moving? If I said, well, this issue, then you'll need to go. Sure. We would have people probably moving around from one group to another one. So, would everyone stay in the in their original places? Well, probably not. Uh, of course not. While labels can be good and can be helpful at some points, they're entirely limiting and probably unhelpful uh, most of the time. And so, our aim is to, is to discuss uh, categories today in terms of perspectives uh, rather than than labels. As we saw in the church, uh, I think Mitch discussed this last week, and I touched on it on the first lesson. As we saw with the Church of Christ Brothers in Tennessee and the Indiana traditions, Christians have varying perspectives of interpretation when it comes to gender, inclusiveness, and worship, which means <clears throat> they have different understandings about what silence and authority uh, means in the, ter- in the terms of the church family. And uh, some of those blogs uh, y'all may have uh, searched out, I have copies of blogs for two people uh, that requested those, and uh, I have those copies of those blogs if you need them later. And I like this, what uh, John Mark Hicks says. Uh, he says, discussing perspectives will help us understand ourselves and others. He says, foster mutual understanding between people who read that story differently regarding the relationships of males and females. We need to develop a mutual appreciation or how godly people who are seeking the will of God in Scripture can come to different conclusions regarding this question. The goal is not simply to tolerate each other, but to appreciate how each other come to their conclusions through their own reading uh, of Scripture. So I like how he, he said that. We talked about perspective. We'll talk a little bit about interpretive perspectives. Uh, we talk about traditionalist or patriarchal. And there are three major perspectives for interpreting Scripture in terms of, general, uh, of gender roles. The traditionalist role that we have spoke of earlier uh, in this study assists, asserts the principle of male headship or male spiritual leadership and interprets this to mean that women are excluded from any voice in the assembly. Example given, women cannot make announcements, verbally request prayers, ask questions, voice a prayer, or testify about an unanswered question in the assembly or leadership function in the church. Women cannot uh, chair committees on which men sit, teach, or any setting where men are present. They cannot vote in men's business meetings, dialogue with men about spiritual matters in the context of Decision-making, that's the traditional, that's a traditionalist interpretive defined. And then there's one, a complementarian. This asserts that the principle of male headship, male headship in terms of role and function, but maintains that many traditional practices are oppressive and deny women the freedom that God permits and encourages. This group is more open 
to more significant and visible participation by women in church, in church life and the assembly, not since, all, since not all leadership is a headship function. Headship function. And then another persp- interpretive perspective defined egalitarian. This asserts the full equity, equality of role leaderships and functions, with, and functions within the leadership and ministry of the church. Uh, this position denies male headship, as interpreted by complementarians, as a theological value and opens all functions in the church assembly. To women, according to their giftedness, through, through this is advocated with cultural sensitivity and deference to local customs and traditions. And so there's lots of definitions, and this gets really complicated, talking about these different perspectives. Uh, and it talks about group discussion, and it says for us to provide time for participants to discuss the following questions. Uh, maybe what types of interpretations have you heard where you questions that method of interpretation? You read that again. And one of the discussion questions, and some of these are pretty deep and very thought-provoking. What type of interpretations have you heard where you questioned the method of interpretation. Has that any occurred with y'all? Yes. Okay. Connecting some that really they say they're relevant, but they're not. Is that what you're saying, Carol? Let me talk, and then I will say something. <coughs> I can get this out before I cough again. You know, we have to look at the New Testament and know that it's so different from the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, you did you live by the letter of the law. Yeah. In the New Testament, we do not live by the letter of the law and worship. Our worship is not totally defined anywhere. Uh, we're given suggestions and things that we do, but most of all, in the New Testament, we're on an honor system. We're given the, the principles that we're to live by, and we make all of our judgments according to the principles, principles that we live by, mainly that the hierarchy goes God, Jesus, man, and woman. And that's stressed everywhere in the New Testament, not just one or two scriptures here, one or two over here. That is the whole theme of the New Testament. And we've got to stay within that those guidelines, any interpretation that we offer. We need to be careful about offering an interpretation because really we don't want somebody else's opinion. We mm-hmm. need to study the Bible, but keep in mind always that we have given the major blocks for all of our decisions in which we could make them there. And uh, I think that's what we do sometimes. We forget that we're on an honor system that we have to follow. And we think, well, let's see. We can, this says this over here, but over there is covered by this block too. Am I making sense? You are, yeah. Because it just, you know, we, we can't just bounce around all over the New Testament picking up this and picking up that. 
suspicious or set apart. They're not going to recognize us if we do everything just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. We have to really consider what God wants from his men or his family and uh, do our society within those boundaries. Okay. You want to say something? You're perfectly right. There is a hierarchical order in the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, if you look back as far as the structure. But I don't think there's clearly defined roles that are spelled out. Pretty clearly defined in my Bible. Okay. But I'm talking about specific roles as far as what you can and cannot do. No, but you have to remember. You have to go by the guidelines that are given you. Okay, we take those guidelines, though, Carol, and, and as we look at those guidelines, where do we make that jump as to this is a specific role? That's where we have to be careful. Well, now, what are you saying? I don't understand. That women can't do certain I things. Say or, women no, no, I, but I'm saying is we have to be careful mm-hmm. with because some people do jump from that hierarchical form and say, well, that means this. And we have to be careful there. Then we know, we know what the hierarchy is. We know well, that all of us do. And all of our decisions have to be made within that framework. There, that, there's very few positives. We're, we're told that we shouldn't be baptized. That's black and white. Right. There's a few things that we're told specifically to do that if we don't do, we are promised to lot. But we have some shadowy things in there, but we have to keep them within guidelines that God has given us. That's our responsibility. That's I agree, I agree with that 100%, but I think some of the things that we are discussing in this role of women or role of anything in the church is sometimes that's those cloudy areas where we have put definites to that maybe yeah. are not specifically and We have to be careful that and not do that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is we have to be very careful <coughs> in how we do that and how we interpret and that's why we're doing this study for one to look to clarify some of those things that we may have thought years ago were concrete that maybe they weren't but you know David was talking earlier about conservative and liberals and and dividing us up And, and that's important because even in today's society if if I were to sit up here and if I were to call a certain church's name here in town, we would label them as either conservative or liberal. And when we put Johnson Street out there, they look at us in the same light, either conservative or liberal. But we need to refer to Johnson Street as the Church of Christ. As the yeah. Church of Christ. Yes. And exactly. We need to keep ourselves yeah. clean from worldly interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think y'all and you know, I think we've if some of y'all didn't hear what Carol Carol said, she said, you know, of course, we talk about the Old Testament, we're talking about law and, and those laws that we just cannot keep. And so we're living in the New Testament and Carol talked about a hierarchy, about the our Heavenly Father being at the top of that hierarchy and man and woman towards the bi- uh, towards the bottom and that we have definite laws that are scriptures to go by on, on how to live and I think I think really what we're talking about sometimes we, we know all this but as we uh, we study further we'll find that well the devil is in the details 
and uh, you're both right. And uh, and but and uh, and that's it's interesting that we we brought up another church because those those labels are dangerous. It's it's like if you know if we mention another church, well, this thought might come into mind. Well, they're more traditional, or if somebody another brings up this, well, they're that's kind of a liberal bunch. That's the danger of, of once again, of labels. And so that's why I'm glad this is in, uh, included in this study, is that we don't do labels, that they can be kind of dangerous. And since we just got five minutes left, uh, I like this, this study because some of these things I, I did not know. And, and, you know, as a, as a new elder and a teacher, I'm learning uh, just at the same speed as you are. This has been so interesting. And some of these things I'm going to mention now, I had forgotten about that we studied. It said, if we view everything from a descriptive command point of view, we take a very flat view or a very flat approach to Scripture. Every biblical command or example is as important as the other. And if we are not in agreement, then we, can, then we cannot fellowship with one another. And here's some issues that, uh, that, uh, that the Church of Christ uh, have divided, uh, that have divided Churches of Christ over the past. And it says uh, one division years ago has been, or still is in some places, instrumental music and worship or premillennialism. Uh, I remember uh, back in the 60s, I remember a little bit of controversy or a lot of uh, hand-wringing on, wow, should we have kitchens in church buildings? Does anybody remember that? Or fellowship halls. Remember that. Hey, about having fellowship halls, is that, is that a good thing to have? Uh, Jennifer's uh, grandfather uh, that spoke in a really big church in Cedar Hill, Texas, uh, uh, when I was growing, we were growing up, uh, the big deal that he was totally against Sunday school classes. And so Jennifer grew up, and I grew up, that you just didn't have Sunday school classes. That was a device of then. Uh, how about cooperation? I did not know about this, uh, Brian. Uh, the issues that divide us were cooperation with other churches. What was the? We used to refer to them as anti cooperation. Anti cooperation, okay. 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 If you didn't hear all that when I mentioned about uh, cooperation with other churches, used to if you uh, if a particular church supported a mission, then that church alone supported that mission, and they didn't ask for support from another church. Or if there is a church that supported a children's home somewhere, well, maybe we didn't have enough funds, well, then maybe our church wouldn't go ask this church or this church and joint, make a joint effort to, to improve support for that children's home. That was kind of the park then. And then uh, located preachers. I did not know that that was a, that was a divisive issue. I did not know that. So we must decide what are matters of faith and what are matter and what are matters of opinion. And uh, you know, our my opinion really doesn't matter. It, it's it's uh, 
It's what's in the Scripture. How do we do this? Why have we stood firm on some issues and on other issues uh, we have not stood firm on? How many commands... How many commands in the Bible are we not practicing? Does anybody have a number or want to throw one out, a command in the Bible that we're not practicing? One that I didn't practice today, and I don't know that I ever will, is that I, you know, Mitch and I get together quite a bit, but I have yet to have Mitch greet me with a holy kiss. Or if he, and uh, Brian has not washed my feet. So, and, and probably Mitch is probably okay with that, and... Uh, uh, even though, <laughs> okay, <laughs> said I've waited a long time for that. So, so that's interesting. Uh, and you know the, and we do not greet each other with a holy kiss. Yet we're commanded to do this five different times uh, in the Bible. Uh, how many biblical suggestions have we made into commands? And how many commands have we made into? Suggestions. So that's kind of food for thought. Uh, we reconcile. How do we reconcile the fact that there are vigil commands that we do not adhere to? We do not adhere to each other with a holy kiss. Uh, we claim this doesn't apply to us because it's not part of our culture or custom. Why do we get to opt out on some because of custom and not others or vice versa? Why don't we opt in? Why don't we opt in because of culture? Now in John, John 3.13, Jesus told the disciples to wash each other's feet. That's an imperative thing. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we wash each other's feet? We must admit that some of, some of what we do or don't do is because of choice, not necessarily biblical yes or no. Uh, Barry, uh, Earl. Yes. You know, uh, after the first session we had, right after we had that, uh, Harold Brothers came up, and, and he brought that up, that the church he grew up, they had one cup, and he said he remembered as a boy that he wanted to always make sure he was one of the first in line uh, in there, because that way you didn't get a, a little bit of maybe chewing tobacco or something like that in with your sip. Uh, I do not know uh, where that came from, Brian, uh, the one cup. Okay. Singular? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I think, uh, Mr. Ponder, did you have a question earlier that I didn't answer, or Monty? Okay. Yes. Yeah. But with sandals feet or bare feet, when they went somewhere and they got their dirt. Yeah. Today we don't do that. We have socks and shoes and, and our feet aren't dirty. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was the practice of that yeah. time. 
Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's close with a prayer. Or Mr. Ponder, do you have one question? Yes. There you're right. Yes. Yeah. Okay, let's close with a prayer. Uh, Father, thank you for this time. Uh, Father, uh, we uh, are grateful that you're here with us and uh, for this study. Father, we ask you to continue to bless us and uh, help us to ponder these things in our heart. And... Uh, we ask for your forgiveness if, if the, uh, when we do wrong. We thank you for this time, and uh, we're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.